I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with Sean Delaney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you. So it gets down to the, the keys, and I think it's two key qualities that must be equally balanced. And for me, that is consistency and quality. Neither one more important than the other, but both vitally important. Ryan Hawk is a keynote speaker, author, advisor, and the host of The Learning Leader Show, which Forbes called the most dynamic leadership podcast out there. Featuring interviews with hundreds of best-selling authors and world-renowned corporate, athletic, and military leaders, the show has millions of listeners in more than 150 countries. A lifelong student of leadership, Ryan rose to roles such as professional quarterback and later vice president of sales at a multi-billion dollar company. Currently, as head of Brixie and Meyer's leadership advisory practice, Ryan speaks regularly at Fortune 500 companies, works with teams and players in the NFL, NBA, and NCAA, and facilitates leadership circles that offer structured guidance and collaborative feedback to new and experienced leaders. With all that experience, Ryan has written a new book called Welcome to Management, which is an all-in-one guide to becoming a great leader. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co. And they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great-tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor, head to mctco.com and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. Ryan, welcome back to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm good, Sean, man. I'm excited to be back on your show. It's uh, It's been cool to see your growth uh, and consistency over the years. It's really, uh, I, I give you huge props for uh, for continuing to, to work so hard at it, man. So I'm happy to be back. No, I really appreciate that. Consistency and growth, two reoccurring themes, not only in your show, but in your life. So we're going to cover that. But one thing I know you and I are both fascinated with is learning and reading. So I would love tackling some of the books that you've just found instrumental over the years for yourself? Well, uh, so like you, I um, am often reading uh, books that are written by guests for my show. So I do a combination of reading, and that's kind of reading for work, but it's also fun. Uh, so, so recently, uh, I've reread the Wright brothers by David McCullough, which I've read multiple times, may even have mentioned to you before about a, a big book that's been instrumental in my life. Uh, what you do is who you are by Ben Horowitz, uh, kitchen Confump, confidential by, uh, Anthony Bourdain is by the way, I, I was a fan of, of Tony Bourdain's TV shows, but if you haven't cracked open his books, he is an amazing, amazing writer, highly recommend reading his stuff. Um, those are a few that are top of mind that I'm thinking of. Uh, I read, um, super pumped, uh, the, the book about, uh, Uber, which I thought was pretty interesting by Mike Isaac and, and Jason Fried's uh, most recent one. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. I read that in preparation to have him on my show. And I, I thought that brought some uh, kind of counterintuitive points to how to design a workplace. Uh, so those are just a few off the top of my head that, uh, I'm thinking of. You, you mentioned many times it's the book of a guest you're having on. When it's not mm-hmm. that, though, how do you identify what you're going to read next? Because time is so precious. I know you have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at what – so there are people I follow and then I look up. Uh, I look up to them. And so often it'll be 
something that they have said that has impacted them. So uh, if, a, if a mentor or a friend that I really lo- look up to has mentioned a book, has impacted them in a specific way, and I'll drill deeper and ask them why uh, has that book impacted them, and they can and they can share how it's potentially changed their life, that's how I will make choices. Uh, in fact, I, I was, uh, one of, one of my big time mentors and, and now become a good friend, a pastor of our church, uh, Charlie McMahon. He goes, you should read this profiles and courage book by John F. Kennedy. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I get into something like that because, uh, he, he mentioned it to me. Um, so a, a lot of times it's, it's because somebody that I really trust tells me, Hey, you should read this. And then, and then usually I'll, I'll immediately download it and, and get it on my iPad to start reading. I know we're both fans of Charlie Munger, his, his entire approach of reading broad. It seems like just with the titles you mentioned, it's across vastly different domains, different spectrums. How much thought goes into that for you? Well, I'm, I'm a, first of all, I love um, uh, diversity of thought and, and certainly uh, definitely a big Munger fan. And I think he attributes a lot of his success to reading broadly. Um, so I don't just want to read leadership books. I don't want to just read the kind of the self-help section. Uh, I do like to read stories about people. So that's why, uh, the, the books that can drill down and focus on a specific person or an event, uh, or a company, I'm fascinated by those as well. And then, you know, I will get into the to the standard kind of leadership books because a lot of those have some 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 really good messages and and stories and practical application that I'm looking for to implement into my life. So I think having a wide, broad range uh, just makes you a better, more interesting person, a better conversationalist. Uh, it, it builds more curiosity in me to then do a better job on my podcast, The Learning Leader Show, so that I can ask better questions. So I, I, I certainly am a big believer in, in, in uh, broadening your range of reading. Broadening your range, I'm now thinking about unforeseen opportunities. And what I mean by that is you've now had this show five plus years and just the amount of connections you've made and then ways your life has transformed from that. What's changed most in your life because launching your podcast, The Learning Leader Show? Uh, the one I would say is the relationships that I've been able to build with my guests. Uh, so uh, people that I previously looked up to as heroes and not within the realm of, of even ever having a conversation now in a lot of cases have become friends where we've gone to dinners, we've hung out at conferences, we've met and met in person. It's, it's so it's gone beyond just the initial conversation. So that, that is a, uh, just incredible to me. It's, it's surreal at times, uh, you know, sitting in the office, uh, of Brian Koppelman, where he records his podcast, the moment where the, where he writes the TV show billions with all of his writers and walking to each room and seeing the huddles and the way that they storyboard and create. I mean, that was a surreal moment to, to, to be there and feel that and develop a real relationship with him where we're, you know, texting book ideas back and forth. Uh, and second, I would say the relationships with the people who listen and get value out of the show, uh, that has been the, I'm sure you feel this, this too, that has been the fuel for me to really keep going. The fact that you're making an impact on someone's life and it's making it better because of something that you had the guts to publish. Because when you click that publish button, as you know, Sean, you are now opening yourself up to be judged. And that takes that takes some guts to do and, and you do it regularly. And when you hear the response that you've helped someone, man, I'm not sure it gets better than that. Uh, and, and that, that, those types of responses on a, on a daily basis really, uh, are the fuel that drives me. Yeah, Ryan, you bring up a really interesting thread here. And I was speaking to someone who I've looked up to for a number of years recently, and it's kind of around what you were just talking about hitting publish and just that fear into the unknown. And they just added words, words of compliment for me. And I just thought back to other times in my life when I was thinking of pivoting or that little bit of fear in the back of my mind and then a mentor. Give like what you've done, I'd like to replicate that. Um, and so they ask kind of the how to and, and really so it gets down to the, the keys and I think it's two 
key qualities that must be equally balanced. And for, and, and for me, that is consistency and, and quality. So, uh, neither one more important than the other, but both vitally important. Um, and so if you're trying to do anything of significance, I firmly believe that consistency and quality are very important. You have to get up and get to work every single day. And I also want to become part of people's routines. There's a reason I publish my show at seven o'clock Eastern every Sunday night and have for four and a half years. I like being part of people's Monday morning uh, commutes to work. That uh, get, Getting that email thousands and thousands of times uh, has told me that that is a good thing to do. And so uh, that is part of the consistency. However, if the quality was not high, then they would just shift to something else. There's 750,000 other choices they can make when it comes to who they decide to listen to from a podcast on their Monday morning commutes. I realize that. And so the quality must stay at an excellent level. And the consistency needs to be there to stay a part of their rituals and routines. And doing that has been a big reason, I think, for the long-term sustainability of, of what I do. All right. I love this. I, I feel like this is when our jobs get really fun. That you, you can feel us kind of just peeling back the curtain into how you work, how you function. And I know we both come from sports backgrounds and your obsession around preparation. And, and I'd love to even go a little bit deeper into just your, your method for preparing. So let's just take your, your podcast, for example. What is your method like for preparing for an interview? Well, the good thing is I'm usually very curious, borderline obsessed with the person that I'm about to interview. That helps because that means I've probably already read their books, watched their TED Talks, read articles written by them and about them. And then I have just a simple process in, in, in Google Docs where I, so I can update it on my phone or at my computer where I'm regularly typing in interesting thoughts slash facts about that person, as well as uh, taking notes from their books, typically of parts that I'd like to dive deeper about. So that process can, can take anywhere from like, I'm getting ready to, um, interview Cameron Mitchell, uh, the big restaurateur in Columbus, Ohio, and we're going to do it in person. Well, I've been researching Cameron for about six months, uh, because I'm fascinated by his work. I'm, I live in Ohio. He's in Ohio. So I, I know about him. He's, he's, he's certainly famous in that world and definitely in the state of Ohio. And so uh, I've been diligently taking notes on parts of his books and articles written about him, uh, speeches that he's given. So by the time it comes it comes the day to, to interview him, I will have probably done between 20 and 30 hours worth of research on him. I'll have, I'll have notes to have a conversation that could last about eight hours and we'll talk for probably 55 minutes. And so the, the next process then is scaling back and figuring out a semi-detailed flow um, that I'd like to take the conversation in if possible. Uh, however, uh, the mark of a great interviewer is being a fantastic listener, right? Listening like a trampoline. So you absorb and then push back out and ask even better follow-up questions than initial questions. So that whole flow could get turned upside down and that 30 hours of work on Cameron could change because he may say something that really piques my curiosity that I did not prepare for. And that's when all of the repetitions from previous work helps. So the fact that, you know, we've done this hundreds and hundreds of times for hours and hours and hours, that helps then for me to be agile and able to shift in real time to have a more deeper conversation with someone to potentially take them to a place they've never gone before. And that's the joy I get. I love one-on-one, -on -one, long form, deep conversations that go deep quickly, whether I'm recording or not. And so uh, in order to do that, though, you've got to be a, 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 an intent, descriptive, thoughtful listener so that you can ask better follow-up questions. But all of that prep certainly can help you be agile on the fly. You mentioned that previous preparation. So I'm intrigued about launching a new business, starting a new career, launching a book, many of these things you've done. So how do you prepare for success when it's entering a new field? So let's take, for example, the book, because that's the newest thing that I've never done before that I'm doing right now. Uh, but remember, I just like you, I've been lucky to interview hundreds of people that have launched best-selling books. 
And I've developed relationships with a lot of them. And so along the way, knowing that I was going to write at, at least one book and probably more than one, uh, along the way, I've, I've been asking about the process of writing the book of how they've done it. And then the, the, the next part, which is launching it successfully so that your message can spread far and wide. So I've been really doing this work of learning the process of writing and launching uh, a book that will be, be a perennial seller, uh, an evergreen type of a book. I've been, I've been doing that work for five years. And so now that it's time for me to do it, I'm taking really the best of the best of what I've learned from the most successful, highest selling authors in the world and then implementing that for what I do. And so, uh, that has been great practice for me to get to learn directly from them so that I could implement that into my plan as, as we're working on our launch right now. When did you finally decide you were going to write a book? I have to assume there were, there were thoughts in the back of the mind, but when did you make that decision that you were going to sit down and start doing the work? Probably around episode like 50 of my book, I had Dr. Henry Cloud. People had asked me about this. Why don't you have a book? Could I read your book? Could I buy your book? Those types of questions. So that's when I started sitting down and, and started to try to create an outline. But I did not actually get the proposal in place to be to be written and, and picked up by a literary agent and then sold uh, to a publisher until uh, a, a year ago. And so we sold it to McGraw-Hill. We had a few bids from a few publishing houses and elected to go with McGraw Hill, uh, about a year ago. Um, and then, uh, with, with the thought of, can we get this thing done fully edited and put together, uh, with multiple passes back and forth through all of the editors to now be released, uh, January 28th, 2020. Yeah. I really enjoyed getting to read some of the blurbs from some of the most tremendous people you could think of. I, I saw Liz Wiseman in there, Dan Pink, so many people that have been on your show and I want to transition to General Stanley McChrystal for a second. And where did that develop? And how did that develop where, where he's writing the intro for the book? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty surreal moment when, when I saw that forward back from him. Um, so I had been trying to get General McChrystal on my podcast for years. Um, eventually, I was able to get in contact with him and he agreed to do it. Uh, if you listen to that one, it's 303. It's one of my favorite episodes. He was such a kind and thoughtful and caring, giving leader, uh, which you don't know what to expect. It's a four-star general who's been who's been in the midst of you know some of the, the fiercest battles known to man and some of the fiercest battles that we don't know about. Um, you know, in charge of Joint Special Operations Command overseas and worked you know directly for President Obama, and so I. I had him on my show and, and we, we kind of hit it off. Um, we, we seemed to really, it flowed well, great conversation. And towards the end of it, he said, Hey Ryan, I'm taking my, he teaches a class at Yale. It's a year long course in leadership. The only year long course that they offer in leadership. I'm teaching class at Yale. And one of the things we do once a year is we go to Gettysburg and I go, I bring a few of my friends, uh, and we, we tour Gettysburg and, uh, I'd like to invite you to come along with my class that, I mean, it was, it, it blew my mind. I remember I dropped everything and, uh, blocked the time and, and flew, uh, to Harrisburg and then drove over to, to, to Gettysburg. I stayed in the hotel with the class the night before. And, um, we had a big circular kind of round table and, and general McChrystal, his wife, Chris Fussell, who was his aide de camp, who I've had on my show and his wife, as well as his friends who were, one was a British special forces dude. Another was a, uh, uh, really highly ranked Navy seal. And then his, his, his third guest was me. So we, we go around, <laughs> we go around, we're all introducing ourselves, but, um, we, we, we had a great chat uh, in a round table with the with the, the people up from Yale and the, the students were brilliant brilliantly smart from all different backgrounds different ages uh, incredible and then in the morning we had a six o'clock run to the battlefield that led by Stan um, and I ran with him and his wife and, and some of the students we toured Gettysburg then we ran back and then we had the official tour later in the day and at the end of the time together he just said hey this I'm so glad you came this was great and we just kind of fostered a relationship. And so a week after that, I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to swing for the fences. And, and, and I, I made a list of people that I wanted to write the forward and he was number one on the list. And I had a few other really incredible people. Some of them had blurbed the book and, uh, 
uh, I asked him and he said, yes. And he, uh, he, he, he wrote it in about, uh, about four weeks later, I had it in, in my inbox and I couldn't believe it. I, my publisher couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he's just, just been an incredible, uh, incredible guy. And I'm, I'm so grateful for him. So I received the book. You were kind enough to send it over. And when I saw his name, a, a smile came to my face. So I want to tell you a quick story. So this yep. summer, uh, I was going to the McChrystal offices. I was going to sit down with Jeff Eggers, spend, spend a few hours with Jeff, uh, who works down there. I opened the front door, and who's there is, is General McChrystal. Have never met him before in my life. And so all of a sudden, you're a little starstruck, right? This four-star general, uh, he has the, the name on the building. And all of a sudden, he welcomes me in, in a huge, hey, I'm General McChrystal, and, and he takes me around the offices for the next 20 minutes. It's a busy Monday morning, and, and he's, he's grabbing me coffee. He, he's talking to me about the, the new offices that they designed, everything. And I'm thinking, wow, this is what leadership is. This guy must have 5,000 things to do today. And he's taking this stranger around the offices. And, and so when I saw him uh, do the forward, I was just, it just brought a smile to my face. So I love hearing the stories about that. So, so you talked about embracing the challenge with writing the book. I know something you do frequently is you give talks, you give keynotes, you're in front of hundreds and thousands of people. What is your preparation like for giving a keynote? And what have you just really discovered to, to bring out the best in yourself when on stage? The, the preparation starts usually, you know, when you book it. And so I, I, I try to, uh, really learn about the company or organization or conference, the people who are be in, in the seats and try to have a vantage point as someone who is sitting in those seats. And there's really three parts that I want to hit is I, I believe in change and the fact that I am working to change how you think how you feel, and most importantly, the practical application. So how you act after you hear my message for an hour and perhaps have some Q&A afterwards. Um, and so the whole prep is built, built upon answering those three questions and making sure that that happens. So there's a lot of, again, just like anything else, it takes a lot of preparation to get ready. Um, no two speeches are exactly, exactly the same. I've never given the same keynote twice, which um, I mean, the, the general theme and the ideas, uh, there are some similarities in stories that I'll tell, but then the, the, I need to make them more directed to that person in that audience so that the, the practical application works for them. If they are just entertained for an hour, then I have failed. I like to entertain and inform and give them some practical application to then change their life for the better. And, and so all of the prep is, is thinking about that for that specific audience and those people and those seats so that, yes, I do want them to be entertained. I want it to be fun. I want there to be good storytelling. I need to be dynamic. I need to bring energy. I need to lift them up, right? I got to do all those things, but, but that can't, that's not enough. It's, it's also has to have some application to their life to make, to make it better. And so that's, that's my process for preparing for each and every one. And it's, it's really hard, but it's incredibly gratifying to see the, you look in somebody's eyes and they're nodding and they're getting it. And then maybe they'll come up to you afterwards and say, I really needed to hear that today. That's That's, that's impactful. Or they send you an email six months later saying, based on, you know, what I saw when you were at this conference or at my company's national sales meeting or whatever it may be. And I implemented this and this and this based on, on some of the things you said on stage and it's made my life better, uh, in this way. And how, 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 how good is that, man? As you know, you've done the same. That is a, a really amazing feeling when you can have the opportunity to do that. You, you can hear the passion in your voice. It's, it's funny. I, I'm looking at a photo of you right now and it's you on stage. And so you're, you're at the immediate front of the picture and in the background is just hundreds of people and you can just feel that electricity, that energy. But what I love is, is that you truly care about the change that it makes in people, not just the, the immediate motivation and, and the thrill of, of seeing someone they look up to talk, but it's what are they going to do and change in their life? So I really love hearing about that. A question you asked your dad on your podcast that I loved was what's going through his head right when he's about to walk on stage. So I, I want to ask the same thing of you. What's that like moments before? Yeah, you you probably heard me say the advice my dad's given me um, at at this moment. And so my dad is is maybe the most selfless and humble person I've ever met. He he really is as good as it gets. And 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 I. Uh, 
I, I just am beyond hitting the the parent lottery. Uh, and, and so I didn't do anything to deserve that. I, I got amazingly lucky by, by my, because of my mom and my mom and my dad and they're, and they're still as, as supportive as it gets. I mean, I dedicated the entire book to them. And so, um, it, my, my dad though, is an incredible keynote speaker. Uh, if I, if I, if I get to half his kind of level of impact, it will be a, 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 a roaringly successful career. But he says, cause I, when I watch him, I say, when you get up on stage, you, you, you just have this full blown ownership over the crowd, over the stage itself, just your presence, your energy, the way that your, you, you, your mannerisms, everything about it. I love it. I'm like, what do you, how do you do that? How do you get to that place? And he said, look, you know, we, we, we raised you guys to be, to be hum, humble, selfless kids. And that's important. Um, but when you get on that stage, you have a duty to serve those people and you can't serve those people unless you believe in your message completely. And so what I'm saying to myself as I'm getting ready to go up on that stage is, man, you're the baddest dude in this room. You're going to go make this thing happen. And so for a brief moment, you get a little swagger, a little confidence that borders on cockiness because that kind of gives the extra juice and the oomph to get up there and bring the energy, bring the juice so that you can deliver your message in a compelling way that will move people because that's your job. Your job is to serve those people in those seats and you can't do it if you're going to go 80% or 90%. You got to go a hundred. And so one of the biggest compliments I can get is from someone who says, man, I watched it and it felt like you were, were just all in. And I say, yes, that's the goal. And so when you get done, you probably should be exhausted. You should be tired because you were giving everything you had to serve that audience. And I, I certainly learned that from my dad. No, it's so funny hearing about the mentality. And then I, I, I learned that early on from my dad as well. So it was so interesting hearing hearing about that. We'd, we'd be going to a football game or a lacrosse game when I was really young. And we'd, we'd turn Gladiator on in the car. And just before getting out of the car, he'd go, it's animal time. And that switch would just go on. And you, you mentioned it's almost close to cocky, that confidence. I, I'm wondering how you, how you bring that to the rest of your life, though. It, it's one thing to do it on stage in front of 100 people. How do you bring that mentality day to day? What, what do you mean? Like the, the, cause like it's part of that mentality. I don't want to bring day to day. Um, I want to serve and deliver, but I also, um, for that brief moment where I'm like teaching and it's not as interactive, it's more me speaking and, and them listening. Cause there are moments where I do have interactive talks. Usually it's with a smaller uh, amount of people in the crowd that you can make it more interactive. Uh, but, but for the, the big stage keynotes with, with hundreds and hundreds of people, it is more teaching. So I'm, I'm, I want to get clarification before I, I, so I can answer properly. I'm leaning more towards the confidence in yourself. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, confidence is built through my preparation. It's built through, uh, momentum of, of putting success success after a prior success. So, uh, a mentor earlier in my life told me that he looks for people to hire, um, who, who have had success in multiple life categories. So can I take what I've learned from the football field and implement that into the, the world of professional selling? Can I take what I've learned from that and take it into the world of professional leadership of running my own team? Can I take what I've learned from that and then become a successful podcaster or a successful, uh, book, book author, right? So those things, I think I, I build up success through moment or I, I build up confidence through previous and prior success through momentum that is created and then progress for me, happiness equals progress. I need to be moving forward. And I, I think, uh, if I'm consistently working day after day to do that, then I'm making progress, which then that happiness also creates confidence for me. Yeah. That consistency is key. One of the frameworks and and momentums I live by is momentum breeds momentum. It's it's on my wall. It's framed. It's just those little wins compiled mm -hmm. on top of each other. You mentioned succeeding in different domains, and it was funny. I was preparing for this conversation, and I've just been looking back at your work over the years, and, and you're almost like a chameleon. You've been able to, to tackle and conquer so many different things, so I'm just really interested. How do you identify these days? Are, are you a leader, a creative, a podcast host, an author? How do you most identify? <laughs> 
that's a good question, man. I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, so I can explain what I like best and I can even put priorities. My favorite thing in the world to do is to have a deep, long form, one-on-one conversation. So it makes sense that I enjoy recording a podcast. I've got, I get more excited the more I do it. It's not, some people say, are you getting bored or tired? I, I get more energy and more excitement. So this is what we're doing right now is literally my favorite thing to do outside of spend time with my family, right? Deep, long form, thoughtful conversation. Um, the next part of that though, is I love building community. And so I I'm fortunate to have created learning leader circles, which are paid mastermind groups. And that's become part of my business, but seeing the connection built from people from all over the world, all different positions, all different companies, different industries, different ages, uh, male, female, doesn't matter. Everything in between, like building, having those people come together because they had this initial interest in the learning leader show and what being a learning leader is all about. And they trust me to curate that group. That is a huge motivator and joy for me to, to get to run my leadership circles. And then speaking on stage, man, I, I, I think speaking on stage, seeing the eyes, the head nods, the impact you're making in real time from a stage, which can be a scary place, but seeing and having the impact or the ability to make an impact on someone from that stage really, uh, juices me up and, and, and gets me excited. Uh, and, and so the, the book was, was kind of a combination of all of those things, right? I was just documenting my thoughts, my learnings, uh, helping other people learn on a different medium that I hadn't done before and writing forces clarity of thought. And I think all leaders need to do a good job of getting very clear on what they believe and what they think. And so there's no better way to get clear than to be forced to write 66,000 words down to say, this is what I believe and why I think if you implement some of these things I've learned, it could help you. And so I would say the, the book has been the natural next step off of everything I've done prior to it. Yeah. One thing I was happy to see you write about in the book was around culture. It's something that's always near and dear to my heart coming from a team sports background and then, and then working in multiple businesses. So how do you go about growing that culture, building that community? You, you said it's near and dear to your heart right now. What's it at the forefront of your mind when you're thinking about that? The who is everything. So the question I like to ask is who is your who? Who are those people that you are intentionally spending the most time with? We all know the science there. Uh, it's been out there that you you become the weight or the average of those people that you spend the most time with. So if you're trying to build a great culture, right, you need great people. So like Marcus Buckingham told me, you, you want a great party and invite great people, you know, this great accent. It was, it was awesome. And I, and I would, I would say that's part of the deal. If you're building a team, you need to have excellent people to be a part of it. You need to be very intentional about who you choose. It's like, for example, the communities of leadership circles that I build are highly curated. There's a, there's a, there's a pretty detailed application process that you have to go to a lot of written words just to apply. And then I will read through all of the applications and the ones that pass the, 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 the test then will have a one-on-one -on -one interview with me. Um, and I will then decide, does this make sense for them to be a part of the group? And I found that while that takes much more time on the front end, it makes things better in the long run. And we're all playing. I think, I believe we all should be playing the long game. So do the hard necessary work to get the people right at the beginning. And that will take care of itself. My dad told me when I got my first management job, right? Do not shortchange this process of hiring. If you do it well, it will make you rich and famous within the company. If you fail and do it poorly, you will become poor and unemployed. Get it right. Hold your standards high. And I've always remembered that advice he gave me and do my best to get very clear on what I'm looking for, then ask the necessary questions to see if we can uncover if they have those qualities in them. And then, and then, uh, uh, and then consistently, uh, make, uh, put that into play so that you're getting those people, uh, on your team or in your communities or in your groups, uh, moving forward. I don't think I've had a bigger learning over the past three years than playing that long-term game. So it's, it's so funny that you bring that up and, and just the importance of that and, and, and understanding that. I, I am really intrigued, though, about looking at initial resumes. You mentioned just being able to pass that initial test. Through Ryan Hawk's eyes, what are you looking for to stand out initially just to get to that conversation with you? <laughs> well, 
I, one of the questions I like to ask people is like, what do you bring to the group? Like what, what, what do you bring as, as, as your give? Cause if you get 11 people together and they're all striving to give or share their genius with the group, that can, that means a group can have a multiplying effect. So everyone can multiply on each other because we can, we can learn from the area of genius that someone has. So that's one of the big questions I look to is what do you believe you can bring and give to the group? And if that person has kind of a short, non-thoughtful answer about what can you bring, um, that's a problem. Uh, I also, I, I value curiosity. I value kindness. I value courage. I value confidence. So I'm asking question about those characteristics, uh, to see, do they have a, an intellectual curiosity? Have they built up some confidence through a track record of success, right? Do they have some courage to stand up for what they believe in? That's important to me, but do they also have compassion and empathy and humility in them? Uh, I think that the, all of those qualities lead up to a really important one, which is self-awareness. So they have awareness of self, awareness of space, awareness of others. I want those people who have high levels and all of those to be a part of the, the groups and communities that I'm building and try really hard to uncover that on the front end. Because if you, it, 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 we all know if, if, if you let one or two of those who don't exhibit that, or they're more me, me, me type people, it could ruin the entire group. So you got to be very diligent on the front end to ensure that doesn't happen. Yeah, you bring up self-awareness. It, it, it's it's one of the the two words I have in bold and underlined. It's something I'm fascinated about. So I'm really glad you wrote about it in the book. Speaking about yourself with self-awareness, though, what have you done well over the years to just extract lessons, frameworks, things that make you tick? How have you gone about identifying self-awareness for yourself? I think, it, again, it, it's it's who you choose to surround yourself with and then making sure those people know that you want and desire candid, critical feedback. So some of my best friends, the ones that I spend the most time with, are the ones who are willing and able to provide me with honest feedback about how I am or if I'm making a mistake. And I try to do the same for them, even if it's hard. I think, I think giving the easy thing to do is to say, Oh, Hey man, great job. The hard thing is to say, Hey, this is like, and I, I, I have a great example. My friend, Greg Meredith, who's been on my show a few times, uh, Greg has no fear to send me a text saying, Hey, that, that episode you did with Ron Ollery was great. However, what, the guy was an assistant coach for 19 years. Why didn't you ask him? Why did you not leave the school to become a head coach within those 19 years? You're obviously uh, an alpha type head coach guy. And I thought, oh my goodness, of course that's true. Where 19 other people may have texted me, that was awesome, great job. And I'm, I'm don't get me wrong, like I like that. But I value the fact that Greg kind of has the guts to say, Hey, it was great, but it could have been better. And here's how with a specific way. And so I think I am really intentional about surrounding myself with those people who are willing and able to provide honest feedback for me to say, you're doing it well, or you're not. And here's how you can change. And, 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 and then the, you know, the most important person to help with that by far is my wife, Miranda. She, she does that for me. And we try to do that for each other to say, Hey, we're each other's biggest fans. We love each other, obviously, but, but we're also willing to say, Hey, here's, you know, maybe a thought about how we could have done this better. And the fact that we're both willing and able to do that for each other, I think has, has been the, certainly the most fortunate aspect of, of my life. Yeah. Willing and able, Ryan, you bring, you bring up a great point here and that that's not something that's natural or easy for people to do. So is there anything you've done around your immediate circle to create that feedback loop of true, honest feedback? I'm sorry. So, so true, just to ensure that you're getting true, honest feedback. Yeah, be, like you mentioned your friend who texted you about not mm -hmm. asking about the the 19 years as an assistant coach. That's not natural yeah. for people to usually do. Right. So I'm yeah. just wondering how you get that out of people. Well, I, I mean, first of all, he, he in, the, in this case, it's a, he's very competent. He's smart. Uh, so the, these people have, that I that I like to spend time around, um, they're constantly and consistently bettering themselves. So that each time I speak with them, they're more intelligent and more interesting than they were the time before, even if only a few days have passed. So it, that's part of the who as well is that these people are not sitting still. They're also aggressively pursuing and chasing their curiosity and obsessions with great rigor. And because they're doing that, they're in a better position to offer me feedback each time we talk and me trying to do the same for them. 
And, and, and so that's been a big key for me that I find myself more attracted to people like that as I mature and get older and then asking them over overtly saying, Hey, I want critical feedback, please give it to me. And them then being again, willing and able to do it. Uh, but I do think you have to be intentional about that because sometimes it hurts. Like sometimes I'm given feedback that is painful to receive in the moment. Uh, I remember getting off stage once and I thought I did a, a, a really good job and hearing from a, a friend and speaking coach who I had that I hired, uh, and him, him point out three or four definite mistakes that I had made when I had just gotten off and thought I did, did a great job. And then we analyzed the film and he was absolutely right. And that is painful to hear and to see. However, without it, I probably would continue making those mistakes. And for me, that's just not acceptable. Like you, you have to learn from those and get better each and every time out. You still big into watching film, film of yourself after being on stage, much like when you were on the football field. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 Listen, I listen to every podcast multiple times. I, I watch all every speech. I have coaches uh, give me feedback on that. I have them sometimes in person, sometimes watching the film. I mean, that that that's just like I said, I watched every practice when I played football, I watched every game. And part, part of the deal is learning from what you did well and understanding why you were successful and why you did well so that you can continue to do that. But then learning from what you what you didn't do well so you could fix that for the next time. But yeah, I'm a big believer in watching film, listen to the tape, watch the tape, the, the, it, it doesn't lie. And so you can get a different perspective too of like, what did that look like from the audience's perspective uh, as well? One of the things I started doing, doing too was filming the audience so that I can see their facial reaction based upon a specific bit that I told or a story to see how did, what, what was their, did they laugh? Did they smile? Did they nod? Or did they sit there and were they bored? Yeah, I want to I want to study that part of it too to get an understanding of their reaction to each part. So then I can decide: am I going to leave that in, or am I going to take that out? And I've learned a lot from from videoing the reactions of the crowd as well. Where did that idea come from to videotape the crowd? Um, I think I I, I read about it from another speaker in a group. I don't recall exactly. Uh, definitely not the first person to do it. Um, but uh, I think another speaker was was doing that, and I thought that's a good idea. And, uh, and then started doing it myself. Yeah, I think you might have been the first person I, I heard talk about that technique. So I was just really fascinated by that. Yeah. I, I'm also intrigued. You spent a lot of time reflecting back on, on what you did well, what you haven't done well. What about just mapping out your overall growth, what you're planning for the coming year? What, what does that look like? Are you, are you sitting down and just writing freehand? So I hired my first... Um, uh, team member uh, to work to work with me, Lizzie Merritt, who was a member of my my second leadership circle, my second learning leader circle, which is pretty cool to see how she went from, I, I guess you'd say a, a a client and friend to now uh, we work together and talk every day. Um, so Lizzie has been a big help help with that. Really, we're mapping out just what we're doing in the future. So the so the big core things that I'm going to continue to the books books huge. That's number one in the list. Continue to build out leadership circles that I will lead as well as other people. Lizzie, among others, will lead leadership circles moving forward. Uh, we, we're building an online course that I'm filming part of it with my dad, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm super excited about the online course that will come out next year as well, or, or come out in, uh, in 2020, um, and. Uh, then I'm going to keep speaking. Uh, so that'll be part of it, part of it. And then the podcast will, will, will certainly continue to go at the pace and we may even up that pace as far as more recording more than I have in the past. So those are the core things that I enjoy doing the most. So that's what I'm going to going to continue to do. Um, but, but really the, the, the plan is to, is to consistently work day after day on those three or four or five key areas that are the most enjoyable for me. And I, th I find that, it, that if I'm doing work that I enjoy the most, that I improve quicker at it and then it makes it more useful for the people who are the consumers of the information that I put out. Yeah, it's remarkable when you're doing things you truly are curious about and enjoy just how much quicker you can develop it and learn there. And so it was, it was just fun for me even reading the book, Welcome to Management, where all of us are managing people even if it's not in the context of our job, we're managing ourselves. And I love just the the different philosophies, the core things that you brought out in the book. Lead yourself, build your team, lead your team. So, so as you're looking forward to this book coming out, what are you hoping someone who is unfamiliar with your work when they pick this up? What are they going to get out of it? 
Well, as you know, only 50% of Americans listen to podcasts. So there's, there's still half of the population that at least a hundred percent of the population know that books exist. They may not choose to read them, but they know they exist. So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why the book is, is here to get my learnings out in a different medium because podcasts, while they're growing rapidly, they're still not even the majority or they're close. It's getting close to that now. My hope is, is specifically this for this book is, you know, I've done 350 interviews that are part of this book, as well as my own experiences sharing vulnerabilities and a lot of mistakes that I've made through the course specifically of that time in my life when I got my first promotion from individual contributor to now manager of my own team. And unfortunately for some of the people who worked for me at that time, I made a number of mistakes. And so my goal with this book is I wrote the book that I wish I had when I got promoted for the first time, I think it will help those first time managers a lot, as well as experienced managers who may not have done deep enough work on what it means to manage and lead and coach a team. And that, that is really hard to do all of those well. And I know firsthand what it's like to not do them well, because that was me. And that is most people because you get promoted or I got, I got a chance to interview for the job because of my performance as an individual contributor. Well, that has basically nothing to do with leading a team that has, that has to do with leading myself that I was able to perform at high levels in the profession of selling had no bearing on me being a good manager. Now it helped me kind of share a little bit about like I did this or I did that. Could you try to do some things I did, but that is a fraction of the job. Um, and so there's so much more to it and that's why I broke it down into, into the parts. You certainly got to take care of yourself, but then you got to focus on building a team and then leading that team that you've built. And, and that's why the book is written in the manner it is. And, and I'm, I, I, I'm on a mission, man, and that's to rid the world of bad bosses. And I want to start when people get that first job as a boss so that they never become a bad boss because you know what happens if somebody is a bad boss, they will hire others that aren't particularly good and then they will become multipliers in the wrong way. And so this has damning effects if we get it wrong. And I'm trying to make a difference when it matters most right at the beginning. And that's why the book is directed at those people. And uh, my goal is that every time someone gets promoted, that, that hiring VP who promotes the per person to a leadership role, they shake their hand, they say congratulations, and they hand them this book and say, read this. This could be your manual for how to lead yourself, build your team, and lead your team. And and and, and hopefully uh, this is going to happen millions of times over the next few years. You're getting me jacked up over here. I feel like we're in the <laughs> locker room. We're about to go out for a game. Talk <laughs> to me for a minute. It's It's been years in the making. January 28th, 2020, it's when the book comes out. What's that going to be like? I'm excited. We're probably going to do a big, big party uh, here in Dayton, Ohio, home of the Wright Brothers, where I live. Uh, which we're, we're, you know, um, I, I think there's. I love my community, and so we're going to do it here. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for it publicly to get out there. You know, I've been, I've been. It's, it's been cool to see. I've really just put up pre-orders now at the time of this recording, just for one day, and to see that we've got. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people already pre-ordering it on the first day it came out. And so who knows how much by the time the actual launch day, you know, th thousands that are, are, are pre-ordering means a lot to me. You know, people are willing to, 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 to click buy on something when I, I, um, haven't done anything like this before. So I imagine, uh, it'll just be a feeling of gratitude and of, of, of happiness and, um, cer certainly some celebration. And then, you know, the next day we'll get back to work. So that's kind of how this thing goes because consistency is, is everything and, and you can't consistently produce work if you, if you stop. And so I do think it, it's important to celebrate and to at times be gentle on yourself. But my method has always been just to keep going, um, because it's easy to be great for a short period of time. It's really hard to be consistently good. And I, I really pride myself on being consistently good. You mentioned what will be thousands of pre-orders, and that's a testament to you. And I know I've mentioned over the years, I thank you for just the lessons you've taught me via your podcast, your writing, our interviews, our talks. It's just been so instrumental to have people like that that continue to push the envelope. So I'm really appreciative of that. So so thank you. I'm going to continue to support your work, the book. Uh, it's, it's one I highly recommend. Welcome to Management. There are links right now in the show notes. But before we let you go, I have a few quick hit questions I'm really curious about being a fellow podcaster. So who no longer living would be a dream guest for you on the podcast? Ah, oh, man. 
Lincoln, probably Abraham Lincoln. So what about Lincoln? Sorry, I I, I just need to, to hear now. I, well, you know, he he was willing to change his mind. Okay, I really value that in a leader. You may have one belief. So my, my whole thought process is I, I'm 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 mostly wrong. I'm just trying to be less wrong every day. And you've you've heard people talk about that that mentality uh, before. Guests you've talked to, I'm sure, have said that, and and we've read about that. But I believe that. And and so Lincoln approached his life right. He surrounded himself by rivals. He wasn't afraid. Uh, he wasn't, he, he had enough security in himself to be willing to change his mind. And I think we, we need leaders like that. And, and I admire a leader like that to say who, who originally at one point was for slavery and then realized how wrong he was and was willing to say it and then fight for it. I really admire leaders like that. And I try to do the same that I'm trying to be less wrong every day. And when better evidence pre- presents itself, I'm willing to change my mind. And he certainly embodied that at the highest levels of leadership such a terrific framework to be working off of next one what do you wish you spent more time on when you were younger a reading <laughs> i didn't read very much did you i don't know i didn't read very much i played a lot of sports when i was younger so I, i'm not i don't regret, regret any of that i learned everything from playing sports uh all sports uh, football baseball basketball swimming ping pong tennis i mean everything um so i learned a lot but i didn't read very much when i was a kid yeah you and i were, were very similar there so final one when was the last time you were truly shocked by a performance this could be an amazing book you've read a theatrical performance a show anything like that when were you shocked Oh man, I wish he would have given me a heads up on this. Oh, theatrical. Oh, I'll tell you. Um, I saw Hamilton. I went to Chicago, um, with my wife Miranda, and we went and saw Hamilton. And I, I am a little embarrassed to admit this, but I'd never seen a musical, uh, ever. And so my first one, and, and everyone told me I've ruined it now because I saw perhaps the best one. And but I don't know how. First of all, that that was written. I, it blows my mind. And then the, the way the actors performed it and sang, uh, it just blew my mind, everything about it. And it's not like it's a short performance. It's long and they're at this super high level and they do it day after day, multiple times a day. And when you watch them, it's like they're doing it though. For the first time, they have that much energy. It just, it, it really inspired me to say, this is the way you need to behave when you're on stage. That natural curiosity coming out, seeing something you've never seen before, taking away lifelong lessons from it. All right, this was too much fun to do a round two. The book Welcome to Management comes out January 28th. Anything else that the listener should be aware of? Where do you want them heading to? I know you've got a great newsletter out right now. Anything Mm -hmm. else they should be exploring? Uh, if, If they're just listed on their phone, which I'm sure most of them are, just text the word learners. To 44222. So text learners to 44222 and you can get kind of, you'll get access to to everything that I, I put out. And I, I have to acknowledge, Sean, man, I am really impressed by, I'm not just saying this, uh, by your curiosity, preparation and growth and how much, um, and how good you are at this, man. Like it, it's a pure joy and this, our time together flew by. So I, I just, I want to make sure you get your props because you got these big time guests, you're, or you're overly prepared and you do a fantastic job. So I'm certainly honored to be a part of your show, man. Well, thank you for that. We're going to continue to support the book is welcome to management and it is out January 28th. Ryan Hawk. Thanks again. Thanks, man. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.